Welcome to Autoimmune Revolution Radio. I'm your host, Justin Janoska, clinician and founder of the Autoimmune Revolution. After watching my mom suffer with autoimmune disease, I have made it my mission and purpose to help people like you. Unlock the door to better results, regain control of your body, and feel like yourself again. I want you to become an autoimmune alchemist and get your life back. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. May you be filled today with joy, abundance, and loving kindness. Peace and love. The world doesn't need you to be anything more than this. If you want to be more than this, then do that. But it's a want, not a demand. That was something that my therapist actually mentioned to me the other day. And we were talking about my own kind of struggle with trying to juggle everything in life, right? Something that you probably can relate to. And I've kind of had some sort of epiphanies around my own issues with perfectionism, actually. And I'm not a perfectionist type person. I never viewed myself that way. But I was catching myself saying, I don't want to be perfect at anything. I just want to be perfect at everything. Meaning, I want to be perfect at handling all the different roles and responsibilities in life. And I don't share a lot about what I do outside of my practice and my work with autoimmune disease and and trauma. But I have a lot of other passions and things I want to do. And I try to make room and time for all of it. And it's it's been tough. So I have clients. I work with a lot of people all the time, of course have calls with them. I am in school, do my doctorate degree. I have vocal practice with my singer. I have guitar practice with my teacher. And I want to write this book. And I also want to record this album. And it's, it's, you know, and I'm moving this month and I'm also doing some real estate stuff. I'm not that special, but I have struggled with trying to invest the amount of time I need into each of these areas in order to be successful. I make time for it, but not to the degree that I want to. So it's been a real challenge of mine. And it's bothering me because I want to do more with this and pursue that more and and spend more time doing that. But there's only so much time in a given day, right? This is the struggle of humanity, right? And we, you probably can relate to this. And I'll come back to this at the end of this episode. But what she was telling me and what I learned was, and what I'm reminding myself is that I don't need to be anything more than this. And everything I do is just extra credit. I'm enough as I am. And so are you. And it's like learning a new language. You have to really get on board with that. But your ego is like, oh, we need to do this and do this and be good at that and make that happen. So today we're going to talk about perfectionism because I think that is highly relatable to a lot of people. And... I don't struggle with it necessarily as much as my clients do, really, um, if I'm being honest, I think. But it is definitely a thing that is on people's minds a lot. And this is the trap of perfectionism because a lot of the people I see who are ill and sick have a lot of coping patterns and responses like perfectionism. And that's what that is. It it comes from somewhere. And we... You, you see it. You Maybe you're engaged in this right now, putting all your efforts into a high-achieving career or trying to be successful at work or being the perfect mom or 
super wife or being the perfect friend or overly preparing for social social situations, uh, having the perfect perception of social media, maybe even completing a task or writing a book or creating a product and making sure it's perfect before you release it into the world. Uh, definitely, definitely uh, can attest to that. Maybe even looking for the perfect person to date who has it all together. But really deep down, we are struggling with insecurity, feeling unlovable, unworthy, inadequate, and that no one wants us. I'm not good enough until I do X, Y, Z. And I, and as I say this, I think about this for myself. I say, do I even feel any of that anymore? I mean, for sure in the past I did, but for different reasons, not feeling adequate or enough or not feeling, they're feeling insecure. And now I realize these are just things that I want to do because it brings me fulfillment and joy. And it's not for anyone else. It really isn't. So I don't see myself in the same context as what I'm talking about today. Um, not anymore. So I think that for many people, though, they are acting these behaviors, they are pursuing this and trying to be perfect at everything in life as one response because of a deficit of love or worthiness or adequacy. And a lot of this is crafted from childhood. Maybe you know this, but if you have parents who are who have a lot of expectations, high expectations for you, they say that you can't fail. You need to do better. A B plus on a test isn't good enough. Do better. They say you won't succeed in life unless you do X, Y, Z. We might model after our siblings and see what they're doing and be like, oh, I have to be like them and do it right like they do if I'm going to have that result. Right? Oh, I need to look like that person. I need to look like my sister because she's got a great body and you know she's doing such good things in her life. And maybe your parents are saying, you know, hoping that you're going to be just like your brother or sister or, and uh, this comparison game, right? So there's many different types of experiences and things that we've gone through that shape this internal belief. And this dictates our behaviors as adults. Thus, the inner critic is born. And you know what this is. I know what this is. It's like your shadow. It's like followed you around for so many years. And it's mentally draining. It's a draining mental pattern of mindless judgment, like an unrelenting stalker or someone who is bothering you all the time, like a mosquito or something following you around, bothering you, that insults you, it judges you without any really good reason. You should have done better. Why did you even bother with that? You'll never get this right. And it just wears down your confidence and self-esteem. I think it's pretty clear, right? And I see this stuff in autoimmune disease a lot, a lot. And a lot of my clients struggle with this and it's because of trauma for sure. And it's, it's often in the context of being the perfect mom or being the perfect partner. And this is very stressful to a system that's already under stress. So, this is my theory and that's not really theory. I guess there's evidence to suggest this, that this sort of type A personality is implicated in chronic disease like autoimmune disease. It hasn't been studied extensively, I think to the degree that we would want it to, but I think in the future that will happen. But what I've noticed is that because I saw my mom and I saw these 
personality traits that I think they make sense given what happened to you, but they are wearing down the nervous system and the immune system over the years. And that's a stress period to the system. It doesn't matter where it comes from, but that is largely due to personality traits like this in response to challenges you went through as uh, as a kid or, or early, in early adolescence. So many, the issue is this, right? So that can happen and okay, we get sick, we have these issues and it's part of the larger picture of the autoimmune puzzle. But the thing that really gets me and that I try to bring a lot of awareness to is that many people get so wrapped up in their protocols and their diet and making sure they're taking the supplements at the right time with or without food and they're testing this and making sure they're doing that right. They're detoxing you know, enough times and trying to manipulate and control every little thing in detail of their protocol because that's what they were told they needed to do. And if they eat this one food, they fear that they sabotage their progress and their doctor is going to um, criticize them and all that stuff. And the thing is with healing, it's not a cookbook process. Like you follow this recipe in this sequence <laughs> in order to get this result. And if you don't, you suck, you fail, and it's you got to start all over. It doesn't work that way. But if you're already type A and you're, you already have this perfectionistic personality trait, yet the stress of being perfect since a child or in adolescence is the very thing that propels you, like I said, to illness and sickness. The irony is this. Striving for perfectionism creates obstacles that prevent progress and change because perfect doesn't exist. So if you're trying to strive for something that is unattainable and you're never satisfied, you're wearing your mind and body out because you're never getting there and you think that you can finally get it. So everything indeed is imperfect. Everything is flawed and impermanent. Everything changes. So because everything changes, everything is imperfect. Everything's flawed. So a new car doesn't stay in perfect condition, right? A flower doesn't stay with perfect colors. A body doesn't have perfect skin forever, right? I think we know this when we really step back and think about it, but there's a part of us that wants us to believe it's perfect or that we can find that. And then if we have that, we'll have satisfaction and joy and happiness. And that's sort of the, that's really what we're after is to feel a certain way. And that's why perfectionism is there. So for me, it's been a practice of, Hey, I can feel that way. I'm enough. I can feel joyful and fulfilled without ever getting those accomplishments without, you know, checking off that to-do list. I have, an, I have it all right here. Everything is just extra credit. So it's something I'm practicing and working with. And I think it'd be really great for you to do that as well. Um, but again, this is not an easy thing to turn around. There's a lot of layers in this to this. And if you have a lot of trauma, it's certainly not going to be an overnight fix. So we have these should statements that we say a lot of times. These musts, these oughts, and absolute should statements that we can replace. And these are irrational beliefs. In CBT, we call this emotional reasoning. I feel this way, so it must be true. Or I should have started this project sooner. Or I shouldn't have said that. What was I thinking? Or even directing it towards others. You should do this. You should do that. 
And it's it's obviously not helpful, depend regardless of who it's directed to. And one of the ways that we can work with this, and maybe you've done this before if you've worked with a therapist who does psychotherapy, but rational emo- emotive behavior behavior therapy, excuse me, is one way that helps change this. And it's actually quite simple. It's just something you do with a therapist or professional. And um, REBT is based on the idea that when we learn irrational beliefs from significant others during childhood and then recreate those irrational beliefs throughout our adulthood life, we run into a sticky situation. We reinforce these self-defeating beliefs through self-repetition and then we act on that. Okay. So so it's really about understanding what I said in the beginning of this episode, that these beliefs come from somewhere. They didn't just come out of the blue. So we understand where they come from and start to rationalize and see the truth of it all and realize that they're not really necessary or helpful anymore. They may have been uh, helpful and needed at the time because they prompted us to take wise action to survive, but now they're not so helpful. So the goal then is to help someone, the client, critically examine these long-standing beliefs and differentiate between realistic and unrealistic goals and facts and teach people how to change their dysfunctional emotions and behaviors, the healthy ones. So instead of saying, it would be absolutely awful if dot, 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 we say it would be just inconvenient if dot, dot, dot. Or I should get this right to, I can do my best. So I can set an intention to do this best way I can. And you just start to loosen the grip around things. And that's the practice. And it's not as simple as just changing your statements and thoughts, but it's really something you unfold together with someone. That's what I do with clients. It's one angle to this. Um, not necessarily my favorite way to go about it because I think there's a lot of blocks and resistance to those sort of things. So another, a better, more helpful way is to work with the subpersonality. So the inner critic, which is something we all kind of deal with, I think. And we can address the inner critic as if it were a partner in our life or a sibling or a good friend. So some of the simple ways to address the inner critic would be to give the critic a name and maybe even draw it out, get a visual representation of this critic. And I think this is very helpful. And something I do is as part of expressive arts therapy and what we can do without the logical verbal language to convey what we're feeling. And this is a great way to do that. So we give the critic a name We give it an image. You can even do it in your mind's eye if you don't want to draw it out. And then ask yourself, if someone were standing next to me and were to say these things I'm saying to myself, how would I respond? Right? If someone said, you need to lose weight, you should do better, you you should be more disciplined with your diet, try harder, what what would you say to that person? Probably wouldn't be a big fan. You probably would be really angry or maybe you walk away. So just take a pause without going into a debate with this critic and saying those sort of things like you might to a friend. Notice it, breathing slowly, acknowledging the experience 
in the voice and the statements and stating how you feel. Okay, I feel, I feel ashamed. I feel sad. I feel frustrated. This is how I feel right now. Okay, simple awareness and validating your experience. And instead of fighting with this uh, self-judgment, see it for what it is and turn your attention on the sensation of breathing, for example. Okay. So simple awareness practice of mindfulness and then directing your attention to the breath, breathing slowly and deeply through the nose, right? And then bring some compassion in. And this is a useful tool for sure. Again, there can be some resistance around this, but generally speaking, it's something we want to set intention to do and bringing in compassion to yourself, wishing yourself well, like you would to a friend who is suffering. Okay. May your suffering be transformed into peace. You might say, may I feel liberated from pain and feel whole. May I receive the kindness and compassion from myself, whatever resonates with you. A helpful uh, supplement to this is picturing a calm place, a place of peace and equanimity that gives you freedom, ease, relief. And maybe doing the practice there, imagining yourself in this place. I, I find that very useful for myself. Okay, so that's a very simple practice and exercise that might take time for it to really work, but it's definitely thing something you can explore and experiment with. And if it doesn't work, then that's okay. I mean, that does happen sometimes. But this is part of unburdening and trying to unhinge from these personality traits that aren't serving us. We have to work with it in different ways and see what clicks. So one thing I like to weave in into this discussion with parts of ours that are not really necessary anymore or helpful is coming back to this bigger question. This is a little bit in the spiritual realm, you might say, but what is here holding all this? I like to think of this as um, one analogy is like if you were in a football stadium, a really big stadium, right? With, with thou- you know, hundreds of thousands of seats, I think. And you're sitting in one chair or seat and your inner critic is over there on the opposite end or somewhere else. And maybe screaming silently and calling your name. And all you hear is like a faint voice or something. And, but everything else is pretty silent. You know, that is really what you are is you're the stadium. You're holding all this space. And most of you is not that inner critic. It is all these empty chairs. It is all these other parts, maybe. So the inner critic doesn't, isn't really taking up that much real estate, is it? When you think of it that way. And that's the truth, because what, what are you when you're not that? Right? You're kind, you're compassionate, you're letting go, you're living your life, you're free, you're all these other things. So what is here holding all this, you might ask? Or who is seeing all this play out as if your life were on a movie screen? I like to play with that a lot. And I, my answer is awareness. It's just consciousness. What you put your attention to is you. Can you step back and see this with new eyes? You know, what is the wise self seeing and saying? 
because that's always there. And when you come from that place, then you start to, then it starts to become easier giving compassion to yourself and to not be so attached to the critic. So what would the wise self say? We're good enough. Everything from here on out is extra credit. We already passed. If you never change, that's okay. You're perfect. You're great just as you are. If nothing changes, you have already accomplished what you need. You're not trying to catch up to be a good human. You arrived and everything you do is fun. You already are that good human. And we can tell the inner critic that, hey, I want you to know that I appreciate your help over the years because I understand where you come from and what we went through in childhood and that's why you're here and you want me to do better and you want me to be perfect and get things right to survive and succeed. But now I'm an adult. Do you know how old I am even? <laughs> things have changed. And that's the truth as well. Everything does change. So if everything changes, we don't need to maybe stay perfect or strive for that. And you can let that critic know that the world doesn't need me, doesn't need us to be anything more than this. We can still work towards something and improve and grow because that's good for us, but we can't grow if we're striving for perfection, striving for a construct, an idea that doesn't exist because it's impossible. You know, what if it's more fun to live life this way? Could we do that? Could we see what that's about? And you start to play with this and see what it's like. It's very organic and natural unfolding. And you start to see that the pressure comes off. So it definitely works better in relationship with a therapist or a practitioner or with someone like myself. But this is something I've noticed with clients. And they start to let go of this. And it never really goes away maybe, but it's just like, it's not in your face all the time. And it's like, wow, there's so much freedom now. So what I would say is, you know, people are always shaping us and trying to mold you. Even to this day, they might be saying things to try to reactivate your perfectionistic side, trying to mold you into a state of perfection that will satisfy them, but it doesn't satisfy you. So how about you define your own perfection. When you do what makes you happy and only worry about that, then you know you're enough and nothing needs to change. So in conclusion, we're saying, yeah, there is no perfect. Everything is perfectly imperfect. And when you see your inner critic show up, just notice that, oh, hey, it's you again. And just be aware of the impulse to act on what you hear and then try to gently let it go. And have a conversation and let it know what I said earlier and kind of update it on life and see how it responds to that. It honestly wants the best for you. It just doesn't really understand the best way to, to achieve that. But you do because you're the wise self. And you can realize and play and experiment with the idea of what would life be like if there was no more pressure and no more of this inner critic. And I could just live my life. That'd be easier, more, more compelling, wouldn't it? So experiment with that and see what it's like. But it's going to take some time to really kind of work this out, I think.
So what I would say, wrapping up here, is you're flawed. So am I, and so is everyone else. But when you aim for improvement, everyone benefits. Go, go throughout your day and start asking these questions. How would infinite love do this? With perfection? No. Is this the highest form of love I want to be doing right now? Okay, and when you start to ask these questions, you kind of step back and say, okay, this is not it. So what is? And drop back into the wise self of thoughts and wise action. And your brain starts to change, and this is where you can break free. So just remember that this is not an easy thing, and there's no one, one way to do this. The process takes time, and it really works best in a relationship with someone. And I'm happy to talk with you about this and explore this with you if you're interested. I do this all the time with clients. It's always a big theme in our, with our clients. So I hope this was helpful and it gave you something to think about. But just uh, give yourself that grace and kindness, you know? everything's going to be gone. So whatever you achieve and think is perfect or want to be perfect, it's going to eventually be not perfect anyway. So why even, why even bother? Why even try to make it become perfect when it can't be? All right. So thank you so much for listening today. I hope this was um, helpful for you and I would love to hear your thoughts. Please write me a review. Let me know what you think. And have a beautiful, imperfect day. Peace and love. Talk to you soon.